because we have come from a church background, most of us have already come across these, uh, you know, these uh, teachings and preachings and uh, these concepts of uh, eschatology where Jesus is coming back, the rapture, tribulation, post-tribulation, pre-tribulation, and so many different theories, all pulled from the same book called the Bible, all pulled from the same portions of the book, the New Testament, and specifically the, the book of Revelation. And uh, a lot of us, okay, have basically uh, constructed our life, framed our reality. We kind of like adopted a mindset where because Jesus is coming back, we've rearranged our lifestyle, we've rearranged our life, we've, we've lived our life in a way in this hope of the second coming. So what I'm going to talk about today is, is Jesus coming back? And when is he coming back? Okay. If he is, right? Now, uh, I, I don't want to jump the gun over here because when we, when we talk about uh, revelation and uh, when we talk about rapture and tribulation and the second coming and stuff like that, it always raises questions because there's so much of material out there. There's so much of teachings and preaching. There's so much of you know, information about when it's going to be. And so many people have predicted in the past, I mean, in the past 50 years, I don't know, maybe more than that, have predicted that Jesus is coming so-and-so here. And, uh, you know, it's like, get ready. And people have started, you know, selling all sorts of uh, survival kits and God knows what not has been taking place around the world on the hopes of Jesus's return. And it's, it's, it's commercialized for the greater part. Now, I want to read out a scripture to you. Okay, and we'll start off there. Acts chapter 3, verse 21. Let me just read that out for you. It says, And he shall send Jesus Christ, who was before preached unto you, who he whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Okay, let me read it again. Okay. And he shall send Jesus Christ, who was preached before unto you, whom heaven must receive until the time of the restoration of all things. Now, if you remember, I shared with you about why Jesus came. What is the gospel? What did Jesus come for? Right? And he's the, he's the last Adam, the second man. So, Jesus came as the last Adam to undo and to, or rather to bring us back full circle to the place that Adam, the first Adam was when he was originally made on the earth. He came to restore all things back. He came to restore dominion to man. He came to restore rule to man. He came to restore the father-son relationship that was going to be the, 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 the foundation of governance over all creation. Now, how many of you think Jesus was successful in doing that? Right? Everything that Jesus came to do was 100% successful. Now, heaven must receive him, like it says, until the time of the restoration of all things. In other words, everything that Adam lost has to be restored back to the original plan and purpose of the Father. That is when Jesus comes. Have you ever wondered about, uh, you know, in Romans chapter 8, how it says creation is waiting for the revelation, for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, it's, it's quite strange, but why is creation not waiting for Jesus? For Jesus' second coming? Why is creation waiting for the sons of God? Right? While the sons are waiting for Jesus, the second coming, creation is not really thinking about the sons. Creation is not hopeful about Jesus. Creation is waiting for the sons of God whom Jesus brought to life, right, by conscience, 
Jesus brought light the sun, and creation is waiting for the sons to rise up in revelation and be Jesus to the world, be Adam's original purpose to creation. That's who you and I are supposed to be, right? So creation knows that Jesus is not coming back soon. He's coming back only after all of us restore all things that Adam lost. Now think about it, okay? The first Adam kind of like lost everything, okay? First Adam set the course of loss where everything you know, went downhill from him. Jesus came to bring everything back full circle, right? Now, if Jesus came as the second Adam, as the last Adam, the second man, that means every person after him, that's you and me who believe Jesus, who are one with him, are supposed to do everything that Jesus did. Are supposed to live the kind of life that Jesus lived. In other words, the sons of God are supposed to restore, are going to restore all of creation back through revelation, through oneness with the Father, through the thing that Adam lost at the beginning, that conscious fellowship with the Father, the source of all governments. Right? Now, yeah, we, we think, you know, Jesus is coming back and stuff. Jesus came back the second time already. He's not coming back now again in terms of how we are thinking there's going to be the rapture. Or the word rapture is not like we imagine it to be or it's been taught to us. Rapture means to be caught up, right? John was uh, uh, John uh, was on the island of Patmos and, uh, and, and Jesus said, come up here. Come up where? Come up here. In other words, John was raptured and shown everything. Being caught up is a heavenly experience. In other words, you start experiencing and entering the kingdom, you start coming into oneness with the kingdom, you start seeing the kingdom, like it says in John chapter 3, where Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, unless you enter the kingdom of God, right? Unless you unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless you are born of water and spirit, you cannot see the kingdom. So as far as we are concerned, coming into oneness with the Father, coming into oneness with the kingdom, okay, is what rapture is. Now, now, so many scriptures in the book of Revelation talk about, you know, it's like uh, Jesus himself is saying. Now, a lot of people who have studied eschatology and they have studied, try to interpret the book of Revelation and all that, have missed so many points that are like glaringly, you know, obvious. Like, for example, if you go to see the book of Revelation is a very symbolic book. It's full of symbols and typologies. It is not a literal book. Right? What it does mean turns out to be little, but it is not literally as it says it is. Right? The kingdom of heaven is not these, you know, uh, this cubic city and coming out of heaven and stuff like that. It is symbolic. So when there are so many places in, uh, like for example, in Revelation chapter one, let me just read that out for you. Right? In Revelation chapter one. Uh, was one, two, and three. It says, let's start from one. Let's end there. The, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bond servants, the things which must soon take place. How many of you think that 2,000 years into the future is soon? 3,000 years? Soon is soon, right? It goes on in verse 3. It says at the end of verse 3, it says, for the time is at hand. In other words, the time is now. That word time at hand is very literally at hand. In other words, it's coming pretty soon. It's in that time, right? The time reference for the book of Revelation, you know, indicates like it's, it's generally, it's actually talking about that generation. 
It's not talking about any generation in the future. Right? And I'll share with you how that conclusion can be met because there's so much about it. Right? Let me show you about uh, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11, verse 11. It says, Behold, I come quickly. Now that word quickly, the words at once, the words uh, with all speed, the words without delay, they all come from the word takos or entakai, which are all derivatives of the same word. It all comes together as in it is, I am coming now, soon, quickly. It's about to take place. Right? And you will see so many scriptures in the book of Revelation. It says, it is, uh, whatever, you, uh, whatever I say, whatever you have written down must shortly take place. It says in Revelation chapter 20, 22, verse 6, last chapter. It says, these things which must shortly take place. Verse 7 says, behold, I am coming quickly. Right? Surely I am coming quickly. He is, why is he saying this? Why is he saying quickly and shortly and all that? Because he says that this is the this is the time, this is now, everything is going to happen right now in this generation. In other words, the generation that he is talking to. Right? In Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, in that same verse that we read about you, the time is near at hand, is is the is, is the word angus, right? It's right there. So it's not talking about you know a hopeful generation, sometime way in the future. Right? Now, let me read Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. In 1, verse 19, it starts over with, right, this is the, and, then, and it says, right, the things that are about to take place, the things that are about to take place, in other words, they're going to happen now. Now, John is writing all these things that are about to take place. Not He's, he's not writing for some future generation. He's not writing for you and me. He's writing for the generation that was right there and then. The generation that was living to see Jesus, right? Now, Matthew chapter 10, see what it says. It says, truly I say unto you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Now, I have to say, there are many scriptures, okay? There are many, many scriptures that actually talk about this. There are scriptures that talk about the coming, the second coming. It talks about the rapture. That talks about which generation, how, and we'll come to that. But you need to understand that whenever you're reading the scripture, you need to read it in context of who Jesus is speaking to, who John was speaking to, who Jesus was speaking to John about, because that gives context. Because every time we hear of tribulation, post-tribulation, pre-tribulation, which, by the way, nobody is definitive about, right? Nobody can tell whether tribulation is before or after. Nobody tell, can tell if there's a tribulation at all or whether it's actually taking place already. They can't tell. Because there's nothing definitive in the Bible that can clearly give you a timeline of when it's going to take place or whether it has taken place. Now, how can you say all these things and from the same book? It's not clear. It's not clear in the same book. That doesn't make sense. Right? The book, of, like I mentioned to you about the Bible, the Bible is a book that was relevant to the times. Right? Now, we glean a lot from the Bible. Okay, There's a lot that we take from because the Father does not change. Right? The father's heart never changes. The father is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we take that aspect of him that is yesterday, today, and forever in how he relates to sons, not how he relates to people who were spiritually separated from him, people of the old covenant. You can't take that kind of a relationship and apply it to your life. You're not spiritually separated from him at all, neither physically nor in your conscience, because Jesus has made us one with him. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So if you and I 
have come to Jesus, okay, we have come through Jesus to the Father. We are one spirit with him, one spirit with the Father. So there is no separation anymore. The only separation existed, like I mentioned uh, from the time of Adam, it was the mind. Right? I read Matthew, Matthew 10, 23. See what Matthew 16, verse 28 says. Truly I say to you, that there are some who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Who is he talking to? Right there. He's talking to the people right there. See what Matthew chapter 26 and verse 62 to 64 says. It says, And the high priest arose and said unto him, Do you answer nothing? What, is, what, are, these mass, what are these people testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Verse 64. Get this. Jesus said to him, It is you who said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Who's going to see the Son of Man? You, the same priests who were there. Right? Not some future generation. Right? Not 2,000 years later. You will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Remember in the book of Acts where uh, Jesus was caught up into heaven and the two uh, men who were standing by, they said, why are you, uh, you know, getting all worked up about this? You know, it's like the same Jesus who went up will come back in the same manner. Right? He's going to come back in the same manner he was taken up in the clouds. And the same thing Jesus said to the high, to the high priest, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. So there's ample evidence in the same scriptures that we are using, that the, that the, that eschatologists are using to say that Jesus is going to come back in the future. And all of Christianity has, you know, surrounded their life or rather they framed their life with this, you know, with, with revelation of this kind of uh, teaching saying that, okay, fine, Jesus is coming, I need to prepare. And they put their life on hold. I've done it. Oh my God, I wasted so many years waiting for the coming of Jesus. Literally wasted years. I'm like, why? Why do anything? Yeah, Jesus is coming back. I wasted so many years because Jesus is coming back. So, I mean, everything is vanity. Vanity of vanity is pointless. Jesus didn't put us, God did not put us on the earth to take us to heaven. You have to understand that. God did not create man to die and go to heaven. God created man for the earth. God created the earth for man. God created us for creation. So as far as we are concerned, we are not supposed to be dying and going to heaven. Jesus is not coming to, you know, it's like destroy the earth and start some new earth and new heaven. That's metaphorical. That's allegorical. So we need to understand that, you know, it's like all these things that we are, we are listening to, these, these messages and teachings and preachings that are taken out of context by enthusiastic people. I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying that, you know, it's like scripture is right here. I mean, it's, it's staring us in the face. Matthew 24. Let's read that because that, that chapter is amazing. We will read the entire chapter of Matthew 24. Bear with me. It's a little long, but the thing, it, it settles everything. Right? Tribulation, post-tribulation, whatever you, you, you name it, you name it, it will settle everything. Right? Matthew 24. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another. That shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately. He said, tell us, when will all these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the ages? Now, you have to see, uh, you know, examine these little words over here. It says, what will be the sign of your coming 
Okay. When you see the word, what is the sign of your coming? It's not really of your coming. Okay. Which I'll share later on. But just keep in mind, just, you know, it's like put a pin in that. And of the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will say in my name, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginnings of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and many and, and will deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Okay, just keep that in mind. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Dan, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing by in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or in the sun. Now, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, neither will there ever be such a tribulation. Okay, keep that in mind. It says, there has never been such a tribulation, okay, like you're going to see now, and there never will be such a tribulation ever. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there, do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets shall arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive you. If possible, even the elect, see, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out to look, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the signs of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. With power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great trumpet, and they will all gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its, branches has, when, its, when its branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Verse 34. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things come to pass. Are you getting this? Everything that I read from verse 1 to 33, assuredly I say to you, this generation, which generation? Who is he talking to? He's talking to the guys who came asking him privately, when are all these things going to take place? Right? 
And he says, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things have come to pass. Right? I think that settles about everything, almost. Right? The tribulation, post-tribulation, all that stuff. Please careful right there. Not, not the future generation, not some generation in the future. Write it down so that, you know, it's like somebody 2,000 years in the future will be able to, you know, kind of like will be aware of what's taking place. You know, that generation. He told the high priests that and he told his prophets that. So the Jesus we are waiting for, okay, has already come. He's already been there. He's already taken care of everything. He's already shown himself. He's came in the clouds of heaven. Everything was seen. Historically, it was proven. Joseph has wrote about it. Yeah, you can go and research that. Yeah. The, all that destruction, okay, everything that Jesus was talking about in terms of the destruction of, that was going to take place, the wars and the famines, was all about the old covenant coming to an end. It was all about the end of days. What is the end of days? Listen, Jesus came because he had to strike, he had to spark immortality. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. The light of the gospel, the gospel brought life and immortality to light for us. Right? So as far as we understand what Jesus is saying, he, we need to come to, the, come to terms with this one truth, is that Jesus does not say, okay, fine, it's like, I'm coming, uh, I'm coming, yeah, well, you will never know when I'm coming, yeah, so just be ready. He doesn't do that, that's so sadistic. Right? God doesn't do that, and especially God tell anyone. What kind of a father would do that? Right? You, have to, you have to see his heart to understand all these things. When you know his heart, you know that these kind of things really don't make sense. And especially when it's so clear in the Bible. right? So clear from his own words. It was recorded for us. This is scripture. right? His own words recorded for us. This is scripture. So we know we can, we can determine what is scripture, what is not scripture. Okay? Now, it, if, if you see in, the, in, in one of the verses in between, it says, he said uh, that there's not going to be a tribulation like that ever in the future. Now, he didn't say there's not going to be tribulation. He said, as bad as that. Right? People are always creating tribulation. That's uh, the wars and famines and all this stuff that's always taking place. But as bad as that is never going to take place again. That's, that's the good part. Right? So when Jesus came to do something, he came to make things better, not make things worse. By undoing what Adam did, by being the second man and the last Adam, he actually made things. So from Jesus onwards, everything is better, not worse. Things only, the, the, the whole hope of the new Jerusalem manifesting on the earth, the, the new kingdom manifesting to us as, as, as sons, to creation, made in the image of God, is that things get better. The kingdom does not manifest powerlessness. It manifests power. And the more of us who come into the revelation of the kingdom, only power can manifest from us. Nothing else. Right? Now, see what Matthew 24 says again. Right? Verse 2. Just want to go back. It says, And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say unto you, not one stone will be left. Tell us when these things happen. And what will be the sign of your coming? Remember, I told you to just you know, keep that in mind. Your coming. A lot of theologians have mistranslated that word, your coming, to be, you know, Jesus is coming back. 
Rather, in this scripture where it says, what will be the sign of your coming, they actually use the word parousia and you get the translation because the Young's literal translation gives it the exact translation. And it says, what will be the sign of your parousia? In other words, what will be the sign of your presence? That's the literal translation of what they actually ask you. How will we know that you're there? Not when are you coming back? It's not as you know, because Jesus said, I'm coming back and you will be there. But he also told them at one point in time, I am going to the Father and you know the way. You know where I am you, and you know the way also. So he told them very clearly that it's not, I will not be hidden from you. Right? So as far as Jesus is concerned, everything is very clear, very simple. All we need to do is meet him, understand what he's saying. So this word uh, Perusia again is used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. Right? It says, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now, again, that word coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is not coming, it's Perusia. In other words, in the presence of, in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Right? In uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 again. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not at the coming, may be preserved unblameable in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the young little translation. It's so clear. There's nothing, there's no mystery in this. You know? Another thing that, you know, it's like people uh, generally, this, the gospel has to be preached to the whole world. Okay, when the gospel is preached to the whole world, then the end will come. Right? And we say, okay, fine, you know, everybody's not heard the gospel, what's, what's going on? There are so many scriptures that actually say, or rather the Bible verses that tell us how, according to the writers, the, the gospel was already preached to the whole world and what they considered the whole world. Uh, see in Acts chapter 2 and verse 5, okay? In Matthew 24, you remember we read that the gospel will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to the witness and then the end will come. Right. So in Acts chapter 2, it says, uh, in verse 5, it says, now, they were Jew now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Right? Devout men from every nation under heaven. Everybody heard the word that Peter spoke. Every nation under heaven was a witness to everything, to the gospel that Peter gave at that preaching. Right? See Colossians 1 verse 6. The gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world, also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. Right? The gospel has already gone to the whole world, and it is not just gone to the whole world, it says in Colossians. It says it is bearing fruit and increasing. In verse 23, it says the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven. So, I mean, there's no, there's no question about it. Romans, Romans 1 verse 8. It says, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. What did they consider the whole world? As far as they were concerned, the Roman Empire had dominated the majority of the world at that time. In Romans chapter 10 also it says uh, the same thing. Verse 18. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world ends of the world, right? So they considered that, 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 that dominion, the Roman Empire, as the entire world. 
And that is what was considered in the world. I mean, they, they, that is where the gospel would needed to go. As far as Jesus was concerned, when he said the gospel will preach to the entire world, and then the end will come. It is, it, it's undisputed. What you and I need to do is rearrange our mind. Stop living in a hopeless kind of a, a life where, you know, Jesus is coming back, what do I do? You're here, you're here to stay. Don't expect to, you know, die and go to heaven. Don't expect to die. Expect the immortality that Jesus came to actually give us. Start living, start rearranging your mind, renewing your mind to a life of immortality and you'll see that things start, uh, uh, things start changing, working out for you. What Jesus did was basically give us a whole world of life and immortality just so that we can live forever. He wanted that. Amen.